Welcome back to the Project 24 blogging podcast. All right. I am not Anna. And <laughs> Nate sitting across from me is also not Anna. Um, this is the Nate and Nate podcast. We are glad to be here podcast. with you. Um, we are just filling in for Anna today. She's out of the office, but we're excited to talk some blogging with you. I'm especially excited to have Nate here uh, with me. Sure. We don't get to talk blogging too much, but it's no. it's been a pleasure this morning as we've kind of chatted before the podcast. So we're going to dive right in with a couple questions for you, um, as Anna would expect us to do. Yes, we, we have to do this right. <laughs> That's right. We got to do it right. She will know. <laughs> All right. So the first question is from Daniel Rosa. Uh, they say, I just found a sub niche with zero competition. I wrote some good articles and they're getting good traffic, a thousand plus page views a month. And it's only a month old. Um, imagine that the topic is, for example, what is the best foods for dogs? Uh, do you think that it would make sense to write articles about each breed of dog? Also with zero or low competition. This is a really good question. Uh, this is something that we've been discussing kind of recently around the office, kind of under a different lens. Uh, we've been talking about building topical authority. And I think that this question really plays into that. And I'll, I'll kind of try and explain why here a little bit. So it sounds like you've written a couple blog posts that are getting some good traffic here, um, but they're maybe a little bit more general, um, not so niche or sub sub niche specific. You gave the example of what is the best foods for dogs. This is a really good post. And the fact that you can win a topic like this is actually really good. It does show that you've found something pretty low competition. Um, but what we've kind of been talking about here in the office with the topical authority mm -hmm. is that, yes, you might want to write some of those smaller articles. Um, and there's a couple reasons why. When a user or Google is looking at your article, this larger article, what is the best foods for dogs? Um, you can see that that's just a standalone topic. And a lot of users, when they're looking for the answer to their question, they're looking for something that's recent and relevant. Mm -hmm. um, and Google will rank articles based on those and many other factors. So when they come to see this article, if I have a pit bull or if I have a golden retriever or whatever, if I see this article, what is the best foods for dogs? I think that if there was nothing better, I would click on it because mm -hmm. it's kind of sounds like it sounds like it would have the information that I might need. But at the same time, I might also look for something a little more specific. Um, and so you may have a lot of authority writing a, a, a post like this, this larger post, but you are probably missing out on some authority by writing different breeds. Mm -hmm. Now, Nate and I were just talking about some things that might happen to your traffic. Um, and I, it, in the industry, it's called keyword cannibalization, um, where you write a larger post on a more broad topic, but you have other posts that cover similar things. Mm -hmm. And if you wrote breed-specific topics, it would cover essentially the same thing as this post, most likely. And so what might end up happening if, for example, you're getting a 1,000 page views on this larger post, but then you write two or three of these smaller posts, you may end up losing some traffic from the larger post. Maybe you drop from 1,000 to 700 page views a month. But uh, maybe the smaller posts end up getting 500 page views a month. Um, so there, it's a lower lower page view amount per month. Um, but over time, 
those articles could pay off. But in the short term, you're dealing with some loss of traffic to the larger posts. Yeah, I feel like the question here is kind of an ROI with the right, right amount of time, o- right. overtime yes. question, because we were discussing this beforehand. And and if someone, when I think of it from a user perspective, mm-hmm. if someone's Googling, what's the best food for a bulldog, for my bulldog, right? right? And, they, and the only one they find is what's the best food for dogs. You, like Nathan was saying, they'll probably click on it. And then what I would be doing is searching that article for my specific breed. Right. And obviously we're just using the example provided yeah. here um, versus a smaller amount of people finding the exact article they're looking for. And so I liked what you were saying, Nathan, about uh, in the short term, you you would have to spend more mm-hmm. time, money, whatever to write more articles. Uh, but in the longer term, it could be beneficial even with the short term loss, the cannibalization yeah. that's yeah. that's going on there. For sure. And I think that it, this is really the basis of kind of why and how we write the blog posts that we do. When we look at larger companies who win some of these larger search terms, like best foods for dogs, like that's a pretty big search term. But we, as smaller creators, we can afford to write those smaller topics. And even if it doesn't get us 20,000 page views a month on these smaller articles, if we can get 500 or 1,000 page views, it's totally worth it. So in this case, I would probably give it a try. I would probably find a couple popular breeds um, in this example. I'd probably yeah. find a couple popular <laughs> breeds, air quotes there. Um, and then I would just write on those and see what happens. Uh, because I imagine that you'll probably see some success there. And another thing, kind of going back to the topical authority, what you can do is in this post, if you've identified breeds that people are generally searching for, um, you can link to those articles in your larger article, which is going to end up pushing organic traffic over to that blog post, which is just going to help it rank faster. So you might end up finding that you can kind of increase the speed in which you are seeing success on these newer articles, which again will just help your ROI. Sure. And, and um, just one more thing you were yeah. mentioning, and correct me if I'm wrong here, having the multiple articles sometimes can't like in this case mm-hmm. uh, can solidify your topic authority Definitely. as a blog about Definitely. what to feed your dog. Yep. If you have multiples and, and Google sees that behavior of going, you know, to multiple yep. pages. Yeah. Is, it that, is that right? Yeah. hundred okay. percent. Yeah. And that's the kind of the beauty of writing these articles more than just a singular article is that not only does it help the users, it's a great user experience because you will write breed specific articles, but then it helps Google see that you are the kind of the, the master of the topic. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the question there. Um, second question we have from Alexis. I'm going to take, let Nate take this one over. This is a, a little more, I think he probably has a little bit better insight on this okay. question. So take it away, <laughs> Nate. Okay. So this is from Alexis. He says, I've hit 10,000 subs. They're talking about a YouTube channel, obviously here. Um, with many video doing uh, 50,000 views in my niche French channel. A brand, a serious brand, they say, is sponsoring many French YouTubers, reached out for making a, a themed video, including a demo of their service, um, and as a solution to the question raised during the video. So they're saying the theme and brand is a good fit for, for their audience, yeah. and I would have no problem recommending them. So they're saying this is one of the first times they've had someone reach out to them to ask to sponsor a piece of content. And so their, their question was, I've heard $15, $15 per thousand subscribers is a common rate. Should I use the average views instead of subscribers? What are your thoughts or experience? So I think part of the question is lack of experience with right. knowing like, what do I have in charge? And right. the other is, should I use subscribers? Cause I only have 10,000 subscribers, but I'm many videos getting 50,000 right. views. Right. Um, so from the outside, I see that it's, 
obviously the brand reached out to you. It's the channel is growing. It's doing well. They're yeah. seeing success with it. Uh, I have not gotten to the point. I was discussing this with you, Nathan, yeah. beforehand. I have not gotten to the point yet where I, I feel confident in giving a common formula for deciding how much to charge for a sponsored video. I don't feel like, and I'm, I'm wondering if I will ever get to that point uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the truth is there's a lot of different factors, audience match, size of the audience, yeah. uh, all, a lot of different things. And based on what you're saying here in this from Alexis, they're saying, um, it's a good fit and they wouldn't have an issue recommending it in general, from my experience thus far, um, if you've got a channel that size, I would start at $1,000 for a video, starting kind of baseline. Mm -hmm. um, both the numbers you said, if we went off subscribers, it comes out at about $150. Um, if we went off of views, average views, it come out at about $750. Uh, in most cases, I genuinely think if it's a themed branded video that's sponsored about their product or service, I would start at $1,000. Yeah. In, in almost any industry. The exceptions would be if I had a smaller, uh, like a smaller channel than this mm -hmm. with a less targeted audience, then there would be cases where I might, you know, it, it might make sense to yeah, get it back. It feels like there are so many elements that play into kind of the right pricing here. And I, I kind of wonder, there's probably some give and take probably on the creator side and the company side, but it does feel like since it is kind of, it feels like unknown, more unknown territory, mm -hmm. There is kind of some opportunity there for maybe uh, companies who are clued into the value of a YouTube audience to maybe try and take advantage of smaller creators. And I don't want to make that sound like every company is doing that, but I just think it's possible. Yeah. And so I think that it's probably important as a smaller YouTuber, just make sure you're not selling yourself short. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with making an offer that they say no to. Uh -huh. um, and if you do that and they do say no, maybe there's some negotiation opportunity there, but I would say, yeah, don't, don't start too small because then, then that will kind of be that, that could end up being what happens on your channel going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's a great question. I would also, other things I would look into is, um, affiliate. Yeah. Could you do a sponsor video and have an affiliate link uh, to what they're offering? Obviously I don't know what the service is, right. but that's a great uh, setup in many cases. And if the company is smart, uh, they're looking to build an ongoing relationship right. with you. So yeah. they want it to be appealing to you because if they see you as an upcoming channel, you're, you're growing and they, they want to build a relationship mm -hmm. with you. So they want it to be sweet and often offering you a sponsor video rate plus affiliate, ongoing affiliate. So then you have an incentive to put right. the link in right. the description of your videos or mention them occasionally. That's a good, good uh, strategy for them. Awesome. Great question. Thanks, Alexis. All right. Next question up we have from Stacy D. Stacy asks, I have a 30-minute video that teaches a small but valued skill to a very niche audience. Think how to teach your dog to get you a beer from the fridge. <laughs> very niche. I'll agree. Um, I have a two-year-old site that has about 40,000 page views a month. Um, I'm not ready to build a whole course around this topic. Instead, I just want to give my visitors access to this 30-minute video for just a few dozen of their hard-earned dollars. If it blows up, I can end up turning it into a whole course. So kind of the question here is, what platform should I use? Um, what's the best way to go about this? Uh, she doesn't want it to cost too much uh, because it's not anticipated that we'll make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So I guess, Nate, what are your first first thoughts here? Uh, first thoughts, I, I'm wondering if we're asking the wrong question here. 
uh, I, I'm taking a step back from a high level strategy here. When mm-hmm. I first heard this, so I've a fair amount of experience. I won't say I'm an expert by any means, but a fair amount of experience in building online sales funnels, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And when I heard this, my immediate thought was, oh, that sounds like the $7 offer. That's a sales funnel that you, you know, you pay for ads, people get in and it's like, oh, it's only $7 and they buy it for $7 and then you immediately upsell them yeah. something else and something else. Yeah. That's what it sounded like, like the introductory $7 offer that pays for the ad spend. It's most of those funnels are not looking for that to make them any money. And, and most of the time they don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're even at a loss mm-hmm. because they've got a bigger game going on. Right. And so my biggest initial concern with this is, is it going to be worth the effort to put this together? And I'm not down, I'm not saying this is like a horrible idea. I'm yeah. just yeah. asking questions. Would it be worth the effort to even put together this entire thing and then have from a website getting 40,000 page views and then have maybe one person buy every mm-hmm. month. I'm just not sure that if that was the whole game plan. Right. Um, I'm not sure how effective that would be. Yeah. I So I had very similar thoughts. Um, now, I guess to kind of back up a little bit, if this is something that you really want to do, Stacy, fine, go ahead. I think here the couple platforms you could use, um, Kajabi is very popular for um, hosting video that you can that you can sell. Podia. Um, you could also use something like SendOwl and just upload your video to YouTube and then like sell a link basically to the private video. That'd honestly probably be the cheapest way. But kind of going back to what Nate said, um, I kind of agree. And I wonder if this could be a better, I don't know, maybe a lead magnet, something to actually just get email addresses for maybe a future course that's more all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. Um, even you mentioned here in your question that it's pre- this is pretty niche. Um, it is interesting, and I think that that could be one of the reasons why it would be a good lead magnet or a lead generator because it is interesting. Uh-huh. If it was something like how to train your dog to get a beer from the fridge, like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, but I don't know if it's something that a wide majority of your audience would pay for, uh-huh. um, and especially with 40,000 page views and dealing with web traffic, um, the conversion rates are just very low. Um, and that's not to be said that a product couldn't sell well. I just think it would need to be a little bit more broad, uh, something that'd be more appealing to the majority of your 40,000 page views rather than maybe interesting to 2,000 of your 40,000 page views. So Absolutely, I would yeah. I would probably try to do something like that uh, where you could gain emails and then maybe eventually, if that's something that you wanted to do, maybe you could, uh, rather than giving them just this 30-minute video, maybe you could make a five or 10 video course later on um, that ties in with another course about just training your dog in general and then actually sell more of a full featured course or membership or something like that. Um, and then you could have a great list of emails to send it out to people who have purchased from you and the, or who have shown interest in the past uh, that you could actually sell this course to. Yeah, because my, my follow-up there, in addition to what, what Nathan's saying here, is one of the lines uh, Stacy said here is, if this blows up, then I'll turn into a whole course. I'm just afraid that it it wouldn't blow up, Mm -hmm. so you wouldn't turn into a full course. Right. From an effort standpoint, potentially a full course would actually sell better than this. Right. uh, Than just a single video about this. Mm -hmm. The other concern is if it is a single video and it feels like something that might you might be able to find on YouTube, for example. Yeah. Charging any more than seven dollars for that, you're going to have a really hard time selling it. Right. Uh, And 
because if it's something that people are like, well, I feel like I might be able to get that answer mm-hmm. somewhere else, or maybe I'll just, you know, Google it first. Right. And if they get a video that's already on YouTube for absolutely free, yeah. then they might be like, uh, yeah, I don't know. But if, if it's $7 or less, they might say, okay, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take the risk of maybe this person knows something better or, right. or you know, that's right. not for free elsewhere. Um, but uh, with the statement of, a, what was it? A couple dozen of their uh-huh. hard-earned dollars. Yeah. It, I really would really doubt that it would yeah. sell for more than that. I know I sound like I'm the doomsdayer <laughs> here. You can be the good cop here, Nathan. Yeah, well, I'm the bad cop here. But I, I really, I don't, I just don't want it to be set up for failure. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm really concerned on this because it, it sounds like, oh, I'm going to just prove this concept. Mm-hmm. And if I sell, you know, a couple of them for a couple dozen, I don't know, $40 or mm-hmm. whatever the mm-hmm. thought was, a couple dozen, I, I think around that range. If I sell some, then maybe I'll make a full course. And I just don't think that would happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's why I'm like, I don't want to like set up for failure before we even start. Right. Yeah. And I would hate for you to feel like, well, this didn't work. So they're not interested in any course uh, because I think that that's wrong too. I think that probably there is interest. It just needs to be the right topic. So like Nate said, maybe this video could be a part of your, your sales funnel. Maybe it could be a cheaper video, maybe three to $7. And then there's an upsell there, maybe to your full course that they can get for $25 and it includes all these extra videos, you know, and all this extra value, like that might actually work. Um, If you're not wanting to do fully free, but then if you have something that is actually worth a little bit of a higher value, it's going to be easier to see the ROI there. Um, You know, selling something for super cheap, if you only sell one or two, then you're not even covering the cost of the video hosting every month or Mm -hmm. there's just lots of different things to look at. So I would say maybe if you do want to just try and sell it, okay. But I think that I I totally agree with you, Nate. I think that there's probably a couple better ways that you could probably go about it. Awesome. Good question. Thanks, Stacey. And good luck uh, with whatever path you choose there. All right. This last question we have here is from Gladsu. Um, And they say, for a while now, I've been trying to collect subscribers for my email list. My site is about aquarium fish. And most frequently, I write about conditions they have or odd behavior suggesting they are sick. So I thought about creating a freebie and I created a detailed PDF file on these topics that I write about. After a thousand exposures, only one person has subscribed. What should I do is essentially the question here. Um, there are a couple things. Yeah. Um, there are a couple things that Nate and I discussed. I think um, he did share the title here. Uh, the title of the PDF is Let Me Save Your Fish with My Free Sick Fish Cheat Sheet. Um, I think that the title is a little long. I don't think it's super great marketing. Um, I can see how you were trying to be uh, very descriptive there, um, but I think that it's a little bit long and... Uh, just not super engaging or interesting. Um, That would probably be the first small thing. The other thing that Nate and I discussed is that this might be the wrong information that you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Um, You say that it's kind of a a PDF that takes the user from A to Z discussing all the things they could do if their fish is behaving oddly or sick. But you also said that you have articles on your website that cover the same info. Mm -hmm. And so I see that kind of problem. I see that as kind of a problem. Yeah. And, and we're obviously just going off of not actually looking right. at the site or right. what the pop-up looks like to offer this yeah. or, you know, there, there's potentially gaps in our knowledge. Exactly. Here. Uh, but when I look at this, I assume they're coming to the site because you wrote an article about their fish behaving oddly. Mm-hmm. And so if they're reading an article about my fish behaving oddly and how it might mean they're sick and et cetera, mm-hmm. 
and then I'm offered something that feels like essentially the same thing, right. but I have to enter my email to get it. I, I I look at that and I think I probably wouldn't sign up for yeah. that because if it feels like I'm already getting that mm-hmm. same information. It just but, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, yeah. right? So that's one case. That could definitely be a big issue with mm-hmm. this. Uh, even if the PDF is actually more in-depth than the article, if they feel like they're getting the answer in the article, right. they're not going to sign up. Right. And so ways to remedy that... Uh, the article, both the the content of the article and the marketing of the article need to feel like something different and uh, necessary and yeah. additional, like yeah. helpful, in addition to what's already for free. And we keep saying free or selling it, but mm-hmm. it's free, but mm-hmm. there's still the sale of entering exactly. that email. Uh, so whatever it is needs to feel like that. So on the front end, like the title, I would probably call it so, uh, like a, uh, a guide or um, just trying to think of what what types of formats would feel additionally helpful. I think cheat sheet is uh-huh. one of those things. I just think it's wrong for the situation. Yeah. So he called it a cheat sheet here. Um, I just I, and I think that that is one of those kind of hype words uh, that you uh-huh. could use. I just think that it's maybe the wrong. It gives the wrong impression, um, and it's maybe just not giving the user the idea that they need the information in there. A cheat sheet. It's like, okay, I, I have a cheat sheet here that I can enter my email for, but I feel like I just got everything I needed from the article. So it, it, there's, I think there's a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely do. I also look at behavior of, if they're researching answers for their fish that's behaving oddly, uh, and it feels like I have to take additional steps, download this thing, enter right. my email, go more in depth when I could just go back to Google mm-hmm. and search other sites and it feels easier or right. simpler, that could be another behavioral thing. And this is, again, tying it back to perhaps the offer is just not even what people want. Right. Uh, it's possible that we just need to go a different angle. Maybe it's how to prevent your fish from getting right. sick in the future. Right. Um, they're already searching symptoms, but maybe it's, you know, the, the exact cheat sheet, this symptom means this result, mm-hmm. and do this about it. Maybe it's mm-hmm. three columns. Here's a symptom. This is what's happening. Here's what to do about it. Right. That's something I feel like I just came up with that, but that's mm-hmm. something that feels like additional value that I right. would be like, oh yeah, I want to make sure I, I download this cheat sheet or whatever right. we call it, this guide so that I have it handy in the future. Um, I just, I, I come back to this like in the right now, uh, it just feels like too many steps to yeah. try to get to an in-depth answer if I'm just going to go back to Google mm-hmm. and search another site. Yeah. I think something you might also do, and this is something I went to a blogging conference recently and Mediavine, the ad provider was there and they were talking about um, kind of premium content, Uh, kind of, this is a totally different discussion, but you'll see how it ties in here. So with the ending of third party cookies uh, coming up upon us here, probably what in the next year or so, um, they have been talking about premium content. And so I guess the way I would relate this back is maybe in your articles, that talk about fish sickness, maybe you do need to hold back a little bit of information. Um, And maybe it's possible that you give the reader just enough that they feel like they're going to get the answer, but then they need to get your premium content. I think that especially as more people end up, might end up doing that with the ending of third party cookies, maybe that would be more, um, it would just be regular Mm -hmm. right now. It feels a little bit weird to go to a blog post and then you kind of have to subscribe to get your answer. That is a little bit weird. Um, but that is a way that I've seen 
some people are going to be handling this change. So that that right now might be a little bit weird, but that might be something that works in the future where, um, you know, you give them maybe two or three of the 10 steps to bring your fish back to health, but then the remainder of the seven steps are in your download or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also make it feel like, and of course do this ethically, but um, maybe it is that you try and sell the product for a little bit. And if it doesn't sell very well, maybe you can mark it as free. Um, maybe, you know, typically your product is eight ninety nine, but for now you're giving it away for free or something like make them feel like they're getting something um, and that it's not just an email really. Yeah. And the other thing, I love those ideas. I had actually hadn't thought on about those. Another thing we discussed that I wanted to bring up is perhaps weaving it into the content of the Mm -hmm. article as well. Uh, So not just a pop-up, but just something like, uh, so if this symptom is going on, you need to know, I have an in-depth guide on on how to deal with this specific symptom. Click here to enter your email and I'll give it to you, you know? And so it's like almost like a, what's that called? A a link within Mm -hmm. the body of the, a text link within the body. Um, That might be another angle. Yeah, I, th- I, I think overall there's quite a few ways you could approach it. Um, I think overall, when you go to do these type of things, whether it's collecting emails, trying to sell a course, trying to sell an ebook, there is going to be trial and error. It is probably hardly ever that you get it right the first time uh, because you have to figure out what your audience wants. Um, and when you're talking about a blog where you're ta- covering potentially many different sections of a niche, you kind of have to think of your audience as somewhat segmented. So you may have to segment your audience and then within that segment, trying to figure out exactly what that segment wants. And so you may end up with multiple email lists based on different segments or different topics. Um, You might find that you just haven't found the information that they are looking for and that they're willing to put an email in for. So I wouldn't give up hope here. I would maybe redo the marketing, redo the title a little bit. It might be as simple as redoing the title and redoing your you know, kind of selling the the pop-up. Um, maybe if you just, maybe it is the right information, but maybe the marketing is just a little bit off. Um, but I would just keep testing it. Make some changes, leave it for a month or whatever, how, as maybe two weeks, I guess, depending on how much traffic you get. Um, just enough to test. And then if it doesn't work, make another change. See how it increases or decreases. Um, and probably within a few months, you'll find something that gets a fairly average conversion. Um, I'm not sure what the average conversion is on sick fish uh, opt-ins, but um, you'll probably find something that ends up working a little bit better than what you have now. Yeah. All right. Well, those are the questions we had for today. I'm trying to think if there's any announcements that we need to make. Uh, none that I can think of right off the top of my head. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Nate and Nate. I mean, the, the Project 24 blogging podcast. <laughs> it's good to be here with you guys. I hope you have a great week. Uh, go on, write some more blog posts, uh, get that content out there. And we'll talk to you next time. Project 24 is product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but it's not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.